We're continuing this series in on the life of David, a heart like his. And today I want to talk to you about the difference between religion and relationship. That how God calls us not to a religious life, but to a relationship with Christ that is living alive. It's not just a list of uh, rules to keep. It's not even a list of rules to keep. It's not just a list of rules to keep. It's not even a list of rules to keep. It is a relationship with Jesus, what that means and how that works in our lives. And so here's what's happening in the life of David. Uh, he has been anointed to be the king when he's like a kid. He's 15 years old. A little bit after that, he, he kills Goliath. We all know the story of David and Goliath. He kills Goliath. Then uh, somewhere in that time, probably even before he was anointed king, it's possible that he went and, and served in Saul's household because Saul was uh, being tormented by evil spirits. And so David would go and play and worship and it would ease him. And then he kills Goliath. And, and then, uh, where am I? I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, and so then he, he's, he, now, now Saul wants to kill him because Saul is, is realizing that David is going to become king. Now, what you got to realize is that David is still a very young man. He's, he's somewhere between 17 and 20 years old. And he's already gone out and led the armies and he's, he's served Saul. But Saul has tried to kill him at least, at least six times. He has deliberately tried to kill him. And now he's pursuing him. He's trying. He's sending his army after him. Uh, it was just Saul trying to throw a spear at him. And now he's enlisted all of his armies. And he's trying to kill David. He's pursuing David. And David is running. So that's where we are today. And we're gonna, David's going to be running for about 10 years while he's waiting uh, for Saul to be removed as king. And David uh, won't do anything to remove Saul from being king. He's not going to try to take over. He's waiting for God to do it. And have you found that sometimes waiting for God to do stuff is very hard? You ever have any trouble with that? So 1 Samuel 21.1. Then David came to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest, and Ahimelech came trembling to meet David and said to him, why are you alone and no one with you? So Ahimelech has to know he's the priest. He has to have some sense of what's going on. I mean, these kinds of things, the rumors get out, people talk uh, that, you know, Saul's tried to kill David. Uh, Ahimelech is probably afraid there's some kind of, maybe some kind of coup going on, that maybe David is, is trying to make himself king. Uh, and wisely, he doesn't want to get in the middle of it. You know, in other words, he's, really, you know, because the, the role of the priest, the priest doesn't have any relationship to who the king is. The priest has a role for God, whoever's king, right? So... So he's, you know, trying to do his job and he's a little afraid. One of the reasons that David has run here, he's gone to Nob because the Ark of the Covenant is there. And for the people of Israel, the Ark of the Covenant is the presence of the Lord. It is to them the, the, the physical representation of the holiness of God. And so 
at Nob, they have, they, have, uh, they have erected the Old Testament tabernacle, and it is there, and the priests are all there, and so David has run there because he's running to the Lord, because he doesn't know what to do. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't know what to do next. He's, he's not sure how to accomplish what God's, God's called him to be king, but God, when he called him to be king, didn't give him an instruction book. He's just, he's having to learn to trust God daily. Don't we all have to learn that? We all have to learn, we have to learn to continue to trust God daily. So he's running to the presence of the Lord, maybe hoping to hear something while in the presence of the Lord. The priest tell him something, the priest say, hey, this is what God told me to tell you. Uh, he doesn't know, he's just, he's running there. And David said to him, like the priest, so Himlech says, why are you by yourself? And David says, the king has commissioned me with a matter and has said to me, let no one know anything about the matter on which I am sending you, with which I have commissioned you, and I have directed the young men to a certain place. So basically what he says is, I'm on a secret mission from the king, and the king has sent me, and I've sent the young men that were with me to a, a place away from here, uh, and that's a lie. It's a lie. I mean, he's not, Saul, you could say Saul sent him. Yeah, Saul sent me on a secret mission. Run for your life is the secret mission. Uh, he could say that, but, but that's, that's, not, that's not what happened. This is a lie, and this is a lie that's uh, going to eventually cost the lives of every one of these priests. This lie is going to extract a toll, and lies do that. Lies end up catching up with us. Lies end up causing problems. It's going to have a very high cost, as most lies do. Now, therefore, he says to Himelech, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever can be found. And the priest answered David and said, there is no ordinary bread on hand, but there is consecrated bread if only young men have kept themselves from women. Now, I think I have a picture here of the Holy of Holies, and this may be hard to see. Uh, it's hard to really pick it out. But if you, if you look into the tabernacle, uh, there's, there's the outer curtain that's separated from going into the tabernacle, and then you get about a little more than halfway. Uh, that's called the holy place. There's another really big curtain, a real heavy curtain, uh, that separated that outer court, the holy place, from the Holy of Holies. And in that outer courtyard, in that outer, in the, in the holy place, there was there a, the table, a table that was there for the, the bread of God's presence. It's sometimes called the showbread. And so there, there were 12 unleavened uh, cakes, loaves, however you would think of it of bread that would be put on that table every Sabbath, and then it would be replaced with fresh, hot bread every Sabbath. So they would take the old bread away, and the priest could eat that bread. It was consecrated bread. It had been, this was not food for God. This was not as in most, most uh, you know, uh, pagan temples, they brought food to God. This is not food to God. This is not, they're not feeding God with this bread. 
This bread is like everything else in the tabernacle is God telling a story. And God's telling a story with this bread. This is, this is uh, unleavened bread. Bread, leaven is in the Bible, a picture of sin. So they removed leaven from it because yeast grows like sin grows. And so this bread was unleavened bread. You might recognize that from communion when we have unleavened bread. So every Sabbath, there were 12 fresh loaves placed before the Lord. They would remain there until the next Sabbath when they would be taken away and refreshed with more fresh, hot bread, which lets you know that even God likes the smell of fresh bread. And who doesn't? And David answered the priest and said to him, Surely women have been kept from us previously when I set out, and the vessels of the young men were holy, though it was an ordinary journey. How much more than today will their vessels be holy? So the priest gave him consecrated bread, for there's no, there was no bread there but the bread of the presence, which was removed from before the Lord, in order to put hot bread in its place when it was taken away. Now one of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord, and his name was Doeg the Edomite. Now, that's not important for today, but it's going to be important for the, the story later on in the coming weeks. Now, if, now, is there not a spear or a sword on hand? For I brought neither my sword nor a weapon with me. It lets you know how, how, how quickly he left, running for his life. Because the king's matter was urgent. In other words, let's lie a little bit more. Then the priest said, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, behold, it's wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you would take it for yourself, take it, for there is no other accepted here. And David said, there is none like it. Give it to me. So Ahimelech broke the law when he gave David the bread of the presence. Because the bread of the presence was only for the priest that had been consecrated to serve that week. So the priest that had been consecrated and served that week from Sabbath to Sabbath, they had been consecrated by the sacrifices. They, they could eat of that bread, but it wasn't, just, it wasn't bread for just anybody to eat. So when Ahimelech gave him that bread, he, he was breaking the law. Now, we always want to interpret, if there's a, a scripture in the New Testament, we want to interpret the Old Testament by what Jesus says because he's the word <laughs> so here's what Jesus says about this breaking of the law Mark 12 1 at that time Jesus went on the Sabbath through the grain fields and his disciples be became hungry and began to pick the heads of grain and eat so as they were walking through the grain fields they just grabbed some grain and would get some in their hand and then rub it so that the, the chaff, the outer coating would come off and then they would eat that raw grain. They were hungry. <laughs> you know, you ever been really hungry, you'll eat just about anything. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, behold, your disciples do not do what is lawful to do on the Sabbath. Because they say, they're working. It was unlawful to work on the Sabbath. You couldn't cook on the Sabbath. You couldn't light a fire on the Sabbath. You had to limit your travel on the Sabbath. So uh, this was work. This was like cooking. So technically, technically they're right. Uh, 
Behold, your disciples do not do what is lawful to do on the Sabbath. Verse 3, but he said to them, have you not read what David did when he became hungry and he and his, he and his companions? How he entered the house of God and they ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but the priests alone. Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent because on the, on the, the priests have to work on the Sabbath, right? And so they work, they do work because they do the work of the Lord on the Sabbath, but they're not working because they're working under the Lord. So they're still innocent. But I say to you that something greater than the temple is here. But if you had known what this means, I desire compassion and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the innocent for the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. So this is the principle that Jesus wants him to understand that I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. And departing from there, he went into their synagogue, and behold, there was a man with a withered hand, and they questioned him, saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? In order that he, they might accuse him. In other words, they want to accuse him of breaking the law. And he said to them, what man shall be there among you who shall have one sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, he will not take hold of it and lift it out? Because there were some in the, in the law, there were some exclusions, you know, where you could, you could save a sheep, you could save a son that had fallen into a ditch or a well uh, on the Sabbath uh, because it was an extraordinary circumstance. Uh, and he, so he says, how many of you, if, if, a, if a sheep, you know, was to fall, it was your sheep that has fallen and you into a pit, uh, you're going you're gonna to rescue it, Jesus says. How much more than more valuable than is a man than a sheep? So then it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. So he said, yes, if it's lawful to save a sheep, it's awful, it's lawful to save a man. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and it was restored to normal like the other. But the Pharisees went out and counseled together against him as how they might destroy him. How they might kill him. So this is why I'm going to talk, I'm going to use this to talk to you about why religion and legalism are so dangerous to us. Uh, Jesus said in Luke 12, one, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, yeast being that which, which works its way in, uh, which is hypocrisy. We, we don't want to be hypocrites. We are hypocrites. All of us are hypocrites. Did you know you're a hypocrite? Turn to your neighbor and say you're a hypocrite. Uh, you're, we're, we're hypocrites because we're all living below the standard that Christ has called us to. We've been made the righteousness of God in Christ. In other words, we've been made perfect. God sees us through Christ as having been made perfect. Anybody here do perfect this week? No, none of us did. So we're all hypocrites. We're, none of us are living to the standard of what God's called us to. It's, but, but like Paul, we're pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of Christ Jesus. We don't say, well, you know, I'm never going to make it, so I'm not going to try. You know, why try? Because I'm going to fail. Well, we, we, we are trying to live up to what God's called us to. So why is it so dangerous? Why, why did Jesus warn us against the leaven of the Pharisees that we wouldn't be hypocrites? Because... First of all, religion and legalism cause us to live compartmentalized, wait, I can say this, compartmentalized, there it is, compartmentalized lives. Where, think about this, the Pharisees thought it was bad for the disciples to rub grain between their hands, but it was okay for them to murder Jesus. 
I mean, I'm pretty sure if thou shalt not kill is one of the top 10 and don't rub grain between your hands is way down on the list. Don't work on the Sabbath. And then who gets, is that work or not? Is that not work? I mean, you got to put your hand to your mouth and eat. Is that work? Well, you know, who gets to decide? So they decided what was, you know, and they had, they had added all kinds of laws to the law to determine what was, what was approved and what wasn't approved. So here's what, here's the practical part of this. We have to be careful that we don't have a church life and a regular life. So that we believe things are appropriate for life that are not appropriate for church. So that we talk different in different places. We have a, we have a language at work. And we have a language at home. And we have a language at church. What we want to be is that we want to be, we want to be the same That's what the word integrity means. The word integrity means to be the same through and through, without wax. It's it's without taking a sculpture that has a flaw in it and covering that flaw without wax so that it's not visible. We want to be without wax. We want to be authentic. And so we want to recognize we don't want to have two kinds of lives. We don't want to live two kinds of lives. We don't live a life where, where we're acting a certain way in front of certain people and we're acting a certain way in front of other people what we want to do is we want to try to to our very best exemplify Christ to all people and at all times and we, we start this with kids because we say things like this and this isn't horrible but just an idea we'll say things like this at church we'll say stop running you're in God's house or uh, sit down and be quiet and show love and respect for those around you is what we should say. I mean, stop running because you're going to bump into somebody and hurt them, but, but not because this is God's house. Because, you know, when you're in a public place, you need to be careful about the people around you. And there's people around you that you could run into and hurt. So don't do that. Not because it's God's house. Uh, I mean, so, so how we act, how we dress, how we talk, we... <laughs> We, we need to, we want to be authentic in that. We want it to be the same. If it's appropriate there, it's appropriate here. If it's not appropriate there, it's not appropriate here. If it's not appropriate here, it's not appropriate there. Because where is the temple? Where is the temple? It's here. <laughs> Where's the church? Is it this building? Is the church this building? Is this building the church. No, it's just a building because we've, we've had church in movie theaters. We've had church in office buildings. We've had church in houses. We've had church in retail spaces. We've had church in just about every kind of location you can imagine. Yeah, we've had church in this field before there was a church building here. But this building is not the church. This is just a church building. We're the church. We're the temple. Don't you know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You're not your own. So, so one of the things is that we, we don't want to live, we don't want to live dualistic lives. We don't, we want, we don't want to live lives where we're, we're putting on for one group and we're acting different for another group. We want to live as closely as possible. We want to be authentic so that we want, we want to not 
So if, if our language is inappropriate for church, it's probably inappropriate for you. Just, you know, putting that out there. Secondly, religion and legalism tend to focus on the outside, on appearance. Luke eleven thirty seven. Now, when he had spoken, a Pharisee asked him to have lunch with him, and he went in and reclined at the table. And when the Pharisee saw it, he was surprised that he had not first ceremonially washed before the meal. So the Pharisee is surprised because Jesus didn't wash his hands. But the Lord said to him, now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but inside of you, you are full of robbery and wickedness. It's a pretty harsh thing to say, right? So much for Jesus, meek and mild. Uh, you know, sometimes he said some hard stuff, didn't he? You foolish ones, did, you, did not he who made the outside make the inside also, but give that which is within as charity, then all things are clean for you. So he wants us to focus on the inside and not the outside in our relationship with God. Our relationship with God is not about the outside. It's about what's going on on the inside. Jesus said, if you'll change your heart, your behavior changes. You don't work on the behavior. See, a lot of times we get frustrated because we're trying to change behavior. And you can't really change, really change behavior until you change the motivation behind that behavior. And you can all, we can always change our behavior for a season, but it's hard to change the motivation behind that behavior. And so that's what we come to Christ for, We're, because Christ is the one who changes. He changes our hearts. We, we, even, we think about God changing us. He's going to help us break the chains that bind us, the things that deceive us, the things, the lies that we believe about ourselves, so we have certain behaviors about ourselves. And so uh, we tend to focus on the outside. Relationship in Christ focuses instead on the inside, on truth. Us, 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 us aligning our lives, we want to align our lives with Christ. That's the, the desire, right? We want to be Christ-like. We want to align our lives with Christ. Uh, Third John chapter, Third John 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth. John says, here's what I want to hear, that you're walking in the truth that you know. The third thing is religion and legalism encourages us to major on the minors and minor on the majors. If we're not careful. Jesus said, but woe to you Pharisees, you pay tithe of mint and rue and every kind of garden herb and yet disregard justice and the love of God. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. So Jesus said, listen, you guys are so legalistic, you are tithing down to the herbs that are growing in your garden. He said, you're really, you're really carrying, you're really being diligent about that. He said, but you've forgotten the weightier matters of the law, love and justice. He said, you know, you, know, you care about making sure you gave a tenth of your mint that grew in your garden, but you don't care about loving your neighbors yourself. Because it's easy to focus on the little things, because it's easy to justify yourself. Look, hey, I brought in a bundle of mint today. <laughs> Look what I've done. And it's, loving your neighbor is, is 
a thousand times harder than harvesting your mint or your rue. I don't even know what rue is. Do you? So, I guess I should have learned that if, you know. Matthew 23, 24. You blind glides, you blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. You strain, so you ever, uh, you ever uh, drink something and there's bugs in it? But that's what they were doing. They're, they're, they're drinking something and there, there are gnats that are getting in the liquid. But they can't, they can't, <laughs> they can't swallow a gnat because a gnat's unclean. That's not one of the recognized foods that you can eat. You can't eat a gnat. <laughs> it's unclean. Now that's a really, uh, how many of you know you've probably eaten more gnats than you realize? <laughs> right? So they would, you know, they would strain that out so they would drink it so that they could, you know, catch it in their teeth and say, hey, look, I got that little unclean booger right there. I'm not, you know, I'm clean now. Boy, look, I'm living for God. No gnats going inside of me. He said, so you, you work hard at little things, but you're not working hard at the big things of love and justice. You see, relationship with Christ causes us to focus on the big things. Loving God with all of our heart, loving our neighbors ourselves. Those are the big things. Loving God with all of our heart and loving our neighbors ourselves. We know that because Jesus said these are the two big things. If you do these two big things, it covers all the little things. Love God with all your heart and love your neighbors yourself. So relationship calls us to do focusing on the things that we know that God says are important. We want to do these things, and we're not doing these things so that we'll have the love and approval of God. We do it because we have the love and approval of God. We don't do anything that we do so God will love us more. You can't do anything so that God will love you more. We only do what we do. That's religion, doing everything you can to get God to love you. But Jesus came to bring us into relationship. We do everything we do because he does love us. We know that he loves us. We know that he paid the price for our salvation. So because of what he has done, in response to what he has done, we, we do it with joy, not with, oh, i got to love my neighbors myself. Everybody knows how hard that is. You know my neighbor. So God wants us, you know, he wants to help us focus on the big stuff. Number four, religion and legalism encourage us to judge others and and excuse ourselves. You know, it's it's always easier to see what other people are doing. Luke 11, 43, woe to you Pharisees, for you love the front seats in the synagogues and the respectful greetings in the marketplace. Woe to you, for you are like concealed tombs and the people who walk over them are unaware of it. So if you walked on a grave, it made you unclean. It made you ceremonially unclean. He said, so you're, you are causing people all the time to become ceremonially, ceremonially unclean. And one of the lawyers said to him in reply, teacher, it's when you say this, you insult us too. But, <laughs> but so Jesus doubled down <laughs> and he said, woe to you lawyers as well, for you weigh men down with burdens hard to bear while you yourselves will not even touch the burdens with one of your fingers. 
See, religion makes it easier for judge other people because we're living by a list of do's and don'ts. So it's able, it's easier for us to look at people and say, well, they're not doing this do and they're not doing this don't, or they're doing this don't. So, you know, they're not following up relationship with Christ encourages us to see ourselves and others who are in Christ through the lens of grace. The Bible tells us that love covers a multitude of sins. If I love you, the more I love you, the more I should be willing to put up from you. If I love you. So if I love my neighbors myself, I'm going to, I'm going to try to give them what I've got, and I'm going to try to give them grace. So we start living the way God wants us to live. So, so God's view of people becomes our view of people. Do you think God cares if people are Republicans or Democrats? Do you think God cares where, people, where people's country of origin is? Now, I know there's a whole bunch of political stuff about that, but there's, and, and this room is full of all kinds of political opinion about all of those things. But you know what? We have a kingdom opinion that supersedes all of that. All of that is secondary. Our allegiance is not primarily to the United States of America. Our allegiance is to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that doesn't mean we're not going to have an allegiance to the United States. It means that, that we, first of all, we should be living saying, what's the mind, what's the heart of God on this? What, what does God want on this? And that's, that's infinitely more difficult than just having your opinion and throwing it out there. How are we going to live in such a way that in this very difficult world, in this very difficult climate, that we love people the way God loves them? That's what, you know, the world needs God's love, mercy, grace, compassion, forgiveness. He has sent us to be instruments, ambassadors. You, You do have a country, and your home country is heaven. And you are its ambassador. So, so it just encourages to see people through God's eyes, which is always difficult. Because people are difficult. Have you met any difficult people? God loves them too. And they may be in a very difficult season because of their rebellion and that they're running from God and... And God has precisely put you in their path to demonstrate to them a rebellious, sinful person who doesn't think that they know God or need God has put you in their path to demonstrate the love of Christ to them. We are the messengers of Christ. We are ministers of Christ. We are the ones that God is going to use to reach the world. I've heard no angels telling people anything. I haven't heard any announcements from heaven. Hey, you need to get saved, you perverts down there. 
I mean, wouldn't that be easier? Why doesn't God just install loudspeakers everywhere and just a voice from heaven? Hey, you straighten up, but he doesn't. How does he do it? He's chose. This is the greatest thing. God says, we're going to get to be co-laborers with God. We're going to get to share with God in his mission of redeeming the lost. So I see you're excited about that. Okay. Uh, 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 Number five, religion and legalism are so deadly because they deceive people into thinking they're okay with God because they follow the list of do's and don'ts. So they think, well, you know, and if you talk to people, people still believe because moralistic deism is is the underlying belief of our age that if I do good, God owes me good. And good means, their definition of good is what is good. Good is, I haven't killed anybody on purpose that I know of. So we, you know, so we, our definition of of our own goodness, I mean, think about the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler came to Jesus and he said, what, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus said, then keep all the commandments. And he said, well, I've done that. And Jesus was like, no, you haven't. Well, if you've done that, if that was easy, then take all you have and sell it and give it to the poor. Because what's the two? Love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Because if that's your driving motivation, if you've really done that, and he said he went away sad because he was rich. He wasn't willing to do that. See, that, the misconception is we've kept the law. We haven't kept the law. I've kept the law from youth. No, no I haven't. So you have the sense that, that by, doing, by not murdering that we're okay with God. Or if you, if you grew up legalistic on the other side of it, that you're, no matter what you do, it's never enough. If you grew up in a legalistic environment, you always feel condemned. You always feel like you haven't done enough. As a matter of fact, you feel good when you feel guilty because it feels like God. Does that make sense? Shame feels like home. So if a preacher gets up and says, you're all a bunch of perverts and you're all going to hell, you're like, oh, that was a good church service today because I feel really bad. It must have been anointed. That must have been God because don't we all feel miserable as we leave? We feel conviction. Because legalism feels like home. You see, but what wants to, what Jesus came so that relationship feels like home, that he is our home. Grace feels like home. Love feels like home. Woe to you liars, for you've taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter it yourselves. For those who entered it, those who are entering in, you hindered. Galatians 2.16. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. It's easy as a Christian to develop, I'm saved by grace, but I'm kept by works mentality. I was saved by grace, but now it's up to me. It's never up to you. It's always up to what Jesus has done. 
Now, the love of Christ compels us. The love of Christ, what has happened is that our motivation has changed. Jesus comes into our heart, and now our motivation is not, we're not working to please God, but because we please God in Christ, we're working. But those works never earn us anything. It never earns us more favor. God never says, oh, you gave sacrificially. I'm going to love you more this week. He's not going to love you more. You may, there may be blessings of obedience that will follow, but behavior is not the way to the heart of God. The way to the heart of God has been paved through Jesus Christ. So I got to quit because it's 1037. So stand up. If you stand up, I'll quit. That doesn't mean just stand up randomly at any time. Is it a revolt? It's time. All right, it's time for him to quit. I'm going to stand up. Uh, so here's, here's what I want us to be. I want us to strive to be authentic. I want, I, want, I want Christ in us to be the real deal. So we're living authentic, Christ-changed life. We're not having to live two different ways. We're not having to live a church way and a, and a work way and a home way. But we're living his way. We're letting him conform us to his image at all times. If our mouth needs to be changed, we bring it to him. We say, Lord, I want my mouth. I want my actions. I want my behavior. I want my attitude. I want everything. I want to live without wax. I don't want to have a secret life. I don't want to live a way that where I'm acting one way, one place, and one way, another place. I want to be the same because I want to live in such a way that I'm glorifying Christ with my life. And some of you, The Lord wants to set free from legalism. He wants you to learn to live according to the grace that has saved you and not by trying to earn God's love. You've already got it in Christ. So let's pray. Lord, I pray that the chains of bondage, of legalism, would be broken from our hearts. That we would no longer live thinking that our behavior is going to earn us favor with you. But that our behavior is because of what you've done and because you love us, not so that you will love us. Lord, free us from bondage. Help us, Lord, if there are people here today that don't understand the depths of your lavish glorious grace. Lord, help us to understand your grace to the, to the dimension that you have given it, this amazing grace. And Lord, we want to be authentic representations of who you are. You've called us and you've changed us and you're not changing us from the outside in. You're changing us from the inside out. Lord, help us to walk in the truth of who you are and the righteousness that you have made us to be, the righteousness of God in Christ, not because of us, but because of you. Help us live it in a world that desperately needs to see grace and mercy and love and compassion and truth. In Jesus' name, amen.